the best way to help children grow in their desire to write poetry, in the quality of poetry they may be able to produce, is to memorize a lot of poetry. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, episode 380. Wow. I know what that means. I know you do. It means ask Andrew anything. And I have some questions for you, but I also have some interesting facts and a joke. Well, I would be very happy to hear all of that. Okay, great. And I like these episodes. I know you do. Because, you know, it's just a little more relaxing. You never know where it's going to go. A little bit more like an adventure. Are you going to start with the interesting facts or the joke? Well, first, I'm going to give you an interesting fact that wasn't submitted by our listener, but it's submitted by your podcast team. We are 20 episodes away from a landmark podcast, episode 400. Oh, I bet you got something really special planned for that. I do, and I want to start leaking out the word of what we're going to do. We're going to do a live call-in show. Oh, good. So this will be very different and a little risky, but we're going to play it live and then, of course, use the recording for later. And whether or not it's edited for later remains to be seen, depending on what the questions are. So listener, look for the date, the save the date in November, where we're going to do a call-in show for episode 400. So I'm excited about that. So if it's call-in... Will it be also live broadcast? Like yes. People will be listening live? Yes. Wow. So we can't rely on editing to save ourselves. No, we can't. All right. Well, that will be exciting. <laughs> okay. I have another fact for you that I thought was really interesting. Dear Mr. Pudwa, did you know that the herb costmary is also called Bible leaf? Because it is. it used to be pressed in Bibles to ward off Book lice. Oh, my. I know, well, right? That's, that's kind of an inside joke. You know, the only people who would recognize book lice instantly are those who have started the Teaching Writing Structure and Style Seminar. Right. But uh, so that's interesting. What was the name of the herb? The herb is called Costmary. Costmary. How's it spelled? C-O-S-T-M-A-R-Y. Oh, I don't know. Just I'm, like it sounds. Yeah, just like it sounds. And it wards off book lice. Yeah. I wonder if you can take it as an anti-parasitic <laughs> uh, herb, too. I mean, it must be good for something, but that's so funny because a Bible would be, mm-hmm. for many families, the oldest book they owned because mm-hmm. they're passed on generation sure. to generation. Yeah. And uh, it would also be probably the one with the thinnest, most tasty little pages Yes, for the, you know, tender filaments of pages for those mm-hmm. book lice to yeah. chew up. And, yeah. So well. she, let me just finish her comment and then I'll let you know who this is from. My ears perked up at the phrase book lice, which frankly has given me the heebie-jeebies ever since completing the teaching. Yes, we've and plagued a lot of people with yes. that. And this is from Juliana, which that's my name, Julianne. Oh, right. All right. 
So here's a joke from the Gates family. All right. You ready? I am. Actually, I should have you tell. You're so much better at telling jokes. No, you tell the joke because I might not ever have heard it before. And that would be a remarkable thing. Yes. If you had a joke that I've never heard. Well, it's a riddle. Oh, okay. I, I don't like riddles. I'm not smart. <laughs> All right, go. Did you hear that round hay bales are outlawed? Round hay bales are outlawed. Yeah. I did not hear this. Yeah, it's because the cows weren't getting square meals. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so they've outlawed them here in Oklahoma. Well, uh, that's not true at all. No, it's and not true. And as a person who knows a bit about the cattle business, round hay bales are very convenient because they're huge and massive, and you can buy them a lot cheaper than smaller square hay bales. And if you're feeding cattle, you don't even really have to cover it because, you know, it can get wet and that's okay. But if you're feeding horses, mm. you can't let your hay get wet because then it gets mold and it messes up with their mm. whole health and digestion and system. So can Gates family, Andrew does indeed know a thing or two about raising cattle. Yeah, but so square <laughs> meals, yeah. That's a I good wonder, one. I wonder where that expression came from, like three square meals. It's got to have originated somewhere, and now it's just an idiom that nobody knows. What does it mean? Yeah, because three and square doesn't right. I mean, have what any is correlation at all? Square yeah, would yeah, be yeah. complete. Yeah. Anyway, so many jokes are connected with idioms. Yes, it's true. So my grandson, Aiden, 10 years old, succeeded in telling me a joke I had never heard before. Remarkable. I was stunned. You want to hear it? Of course. So this little boy is out with his mom and he sees a bow-legged man. He goes, mom, a bow-legged man. She goes, shh, be quiet. That's rude. Don't say that. They go out again. He sees a bow-legged man. He says, mom, a bow-legged man. She says, shh, be quiet. If you do that again, you'll be grounded for a month reading Shakespeare. Well, they go out the next day, bow-legged man. He says, mom, a bow-legged man. And she said, that's it. You're grounded reading Shakespeare for a month. So he reads Shakespeare for a month. They go out again. He sees a bow-legged man. And he says, oh, mother, what men are these who wear their legs in parentheses? <laughs> I, I like the joke Very so much nice. because it kind of illustrates, you know, you get out of a kid or anybody, you get out the quality of language that you put in. And so, you know, reading Shakespeare for a month had unintended positive language consequences. Right. So he's not using bull-legged anymore. That's really fun. Okay, now I have a question. This is from Melissa. She has a fourth grader who has never been great at spelling. She says, it seems all of a sudden that he is forgetting how to spell even the most basic sight words. Do you have any recommendations? Well, I guess, you know, one observation I would make does anyone know a fourth grader who's great at spelling? I mean, you know, by definition, being nine and a half, ten years old, you are in the process of learning to spell. But I think what might be concerning her is perhaps she's seeing him not being able to spell the words that maybe he used to be able to spell. Mm -hmm. And that can happen. You know, a lot of parents have this concept that learning and skill acquisition is always on a linear up, right? The, the curve is always going up. Every day you're getting better than the day before. Every month you're better than the previous month. But, you know, I realized a long time ago teaching music that 
it's not really like that. You know, it's kind of like growth. It'll come in spurts. And then you'll have some plateau, maybe even a slight decline, and then and then maybe another spurt, and then a plateau, or maybe a slight decline. And so I think we just have to acknowledge that that can happen in any area, and, and memory is one of those areas where sometimes you you learn new stuff and then you just forget old stuff because you haven't used it enough, and then you have to kind of relearn it. But my suggestion would be, and I don't know a lot about this child, Mm -hmm. but I would say, in general, kids who are not learning to spell well by looking at words, and sight words would fall into the category of words you look at, I think, by definition. By definition, yes, exactly. Um, And they also kind of fall into the category of not necessarily easy to sound out words. Mm-hmm. Sure. The, the simplest would be the. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if someone said spell the word the and you were to try to do that phonetically, you'd be clueless, right? And I, I've seen children look at the word the and say to he, mm-hmm. right. right? So yeah. it's it's a sight word and there's a dolch list, mm-hmm. you know, 100 words that you're not going to know how to spell unless you just flat out hammer them Mm -hmm. into the memory. Mm -hmm. You can't fall back on phonics or intuitive phonic knowledge or... So I would say what's needed here is higher repetition. And the best way to get higher repetition in a shorter period of time is verbal drill. Mm -hmm. I think many parents today believe that spelling all has to be done, you know, on paper or in a workbook or with a program and you have to be sitting down and you have to see it and or write it. But a long time ago, people used to use as a primary method of learning to spell a verbal drill. Sure. And I grew up with this. I, I've talked about this before, I'm sure, but I always got 100% on the spelling test at school. But I don't remember studying them or doing anything myself. What I do remember is my mother Mm -hmm. somehow got a hold of the list and she would just drill me on these words when we were just doing stuff, driving in the car or sitting on the couch or, you know, chopping vegetables in the kitchen just as a part of daily life. I wasn't homeschooled. This was just, you know, around the edges of life. Mm -hmm. And so she would just make me spell out loud the words. And if I got it right, she'd say, that's right. And if I got it wrong, she'd spell it, make me repeat it. So then there was this, you know, two to one ratio. I would spell it incorrectly. She would spell it correctly. I would repeat that back. So I'm hearing it twice correctly to undo the incorrect guess that I made. Mm -hmm. And so you want to think about that. You want to think about the ratio of correct input to correct output. You know, people often have said and this is, you know, kind of in the music world, you'll hear people say, practice makes perfect. Well, you know, no, practice makes permanent. Right. So whatever you do again and again, that's the way you'll do it the next time unless there's a correction element. Mm -hmm. And the more times you've done something incorrectly, whether it's play a sequence of notes or spell a word or, you know, say a sentence with faulty grammar, well, 
the more times you do it, the higher the ratio of correct you have to have to undo the incorrect. I have a question for you about that. Yeah. You're the brain expert, or at least more knowledgeable than anyone else in this room. I've heard that if you learn something, you're li- you're literally making ruts in your brain. I don't know that ruts mm-hmm. is a particularly good word because of the image that it mm-hmm. evokes. Mm-hmm. But what happens is when you experience any type of sensory stimulus, mm-hmm. you see something, hear something, feel something, taste something, whatever, or you do something with your body using your mouth or your hands or your feet or whatever, mm-hmm. to experience or do that thing, sensory input, motor output, neurons have to make electrochemical connections with other neurons. Mm-hmm. There's those neurotransmitters. And and the growth is when the axons of one neuron grow out and connect with the dendrite of another neuron. And then you've got, you know, countless neurons involved in the storage of this information. And then what's really interesting is that while we sleep, we actually have a process called myelinization, hmm. which is where the protein sheath is formed that makes those connections permanent. Oh, okay. And this is why there's a lot of research to show that sleep is essential for learning. Mm. And one study, I even put this in a source text once upon a time for high school kids, showing that people who practiced a particular sequence of finger taps and then took a nap could reproduce that sequence of finger taps more accurately than students who spent the same amount of time practicing but didn't take a nap. Mm. So it's during sleep that we rebuild and that we we permanentize these neural connections. I don't know if this means that you should try to get a kid to take a nap after they do spelling or if you should do spelling at right. night before they go to sleep. Um, but we do know that the proteins that will create this coding around the neural connections are really essential for memory. And then as long as those connections are maintained through repetition then you can learn something and not forget it. Uh, Now, if the brain suffers trauma, if the brain suffers a a malnutrition, either through lack of oxygens or fats or proteins or whatever nutrients it requires, then that myelinization can start to break down uh, much the way your muscles can break down Mm -hmm. if you stop using them, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, there... There, there's that need for both stimulus and repetition and good brain health. So, I mean, those are two things to consider. Um, but, you know, for most people, it's on the repetition side. Mm-hmm. Why is it that some kids memorize multiplication tables with a whole lot less repetition than other kids who seem to need, you know, 10, 20 times more? You know, it doesn't mean they're smarter. It just means that they're neurons are able in that particular area of the brain that's going to store math information, able to make those connections easier. In the language and spelling part of the brain, it's a little harder because it's more inconsistent. I mean, Mm -hmm. spelling is very disorganized when you think about it. Mm. In fact, I, I was talking to someone who grew up 
you know, reading, writing, speaking Spanish mm. and then had to learn English. It's like, this language is chaos. Mm -hmm. You know, in Spanish, you don't really have to learn to spell because everything pretty much works. Mm -hmm. And in English, it's just one exception after another. Well, it's just because it's made up of so many different languages. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I would say, you know, with this mom, understand that it's not a continuous improvement every single day. There will be plateaus and dips. Uh, prioritize brain health and sleep, mm -hmm. and then just squeeze in more repetition on the words that she notes mm -hmm. are not being spelled correctly, but do it verbally and auditorily. Right. And then then the child can can kind of say, oh, I do know how to write this word. Stop, say it to himself, mm. hear what he says, and then write down the letters he heard himself say to himself. And I remember actually doing that in fourth grade. The teacher would say, okay, children, the next word is special. And I would think, I know this. And I would whisper it to myself, S-P-E-C-I-A-L, because my mom had drilled me mm -hmm. on it. It had nothing to do with seeing it and writing what I was seeing. It was all for me being able to pull out sequentially stored information that was stored verbally and auditorily. I would be remiss if I did not mention our phonetic zoo spelling <laughs> program, which is based on that very idea. It's an auditory spelling approach. And we have a, a link to the whole talk, Spelling in the Brain. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can put that in the show notes because that's a, that's a really good detailed mm -hmm. full out, I don't know, 80 minutes probably. It's a long talk, mm -hmm. but good. Spelling yep. in the Brain. Melissa has a second part of the question. Oh, okay. That you've kind of already answered, but she actually already almost answers herself. She says, we use structure and style for students. I'm assuming year one, level A. Should I just correct his misspellings on his rough draft or have a big spelling lesson about them? My thought is that would discourage him from enjoying writing. <laughs> yeah. I, so one of the things I, I make the point in the spelling in the brain is that composition and spelling are entirely different brain functions. They don't even happen in the same parts of the brain. Hmm. And when you kind of pester a kid about, here, put words into sentences that make sense and make all your letters beautiful and spell every word correctly, that can just totally overwhelm. Mm -hmm. So separate the complexity. And then when you're doing composition, don't worry so much about you know, letter formation and spelling. And that's why we have the strict hard and fast rule. There's no such thing as a first and only right. draft of anything. So right. yes, he writes to the best of his ability. You can put the correctly spelled word above it because mm -hmm. he's double spacing, yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. And then when he copies it over, he doesn't have to think, oh, what word is next in the sentence? And he can attend to copying the correct spelling into his next draft. Yep. And that seems to really work best for everyone. Yep. This next question is also just, she wrote a couple paragraphs on complimenting our podcast. And she likes that she heard you speak in person many years ago. And her, she herself was homeschooled using IEW. And it wasn't until she started listening to the podcast that she enjoyed IEW and is now using it with her own kids. Oh, wow. That's yeah, which funny. I love that. And this is from Ebony. 
I'm working with my kids, specifically ages seven and nine, on writing poetry. And she's wondering, do we have any simple poetry writing resources or recommendations for trying that out on her own? I don't think we do, other than the little bit of poetry that is kind of just as a fun off-checklist kind of activity, almost optional, that are in some of the theme-based writing lesson books. Mm -hmm. I think at that age in particular, the best way to help children grow in their desire to write poetry, in the quality of poetry they may be able to produce, is to memorize a lot of poetry and to just saturate your brain with verse and rhyme and meter because a lot of the things that make a poem work are, are not learned technically so much as they're learned intuitively. And I grew up uh, fortunate enough to have parents who read a lot of poetry to me and to my sister uh, when we were sailing on our boat parked over at Catalina with no telephone and no radio and no television and nothing to distract us except, you know, books. And so I kind of just accidentally started memorizing poetry. And I, I believe the more poetry I learned, the more likely I was to be able to come up with good rhymes and things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And of course, seven and nine years old is such a magnificent, sensitive period for acquisition mm -hmm. of language. I mean, it almost connects with the joke that we told about the boy reading Shakespeare. Yes, right? exactly. He, he said that in this poetic way because he had had his mind saturated with Shakespearean type of expression. Now, there are some tools that can be helpful, although I don't know, a seven-year-old probably would have a hard time with it, maybe a, a nine-year-old, but a rhyming dictionary mm -hmm. can mm -hmm. be very helpful. Uh, you want to make a rhyme, you know what you want to say, but you can't think of the right word. Well, maybe you can look up the word you're trying to rhyme, and there's a word that would would help out in that way. So a rhyming dictionary would be one tool. Uh, I think a, a variety of poetry is good. And we would be remiss not to mention, you know, our program, Linguistic Development Through Poetry and Memorization. I got to tell you this. Mm -hmm. I received the most beautiful gift mm. from a completely random person at a homeschool convention mm. just recently. It was a full size, like, I don't know how big, queen size maybe, handmade quilt. Oh, my. I mean, it was beautiful. Absolutely gorgeously made. What a precious and priceless gift. And, wow. And I, I, I was almost stunned. Yes. Because this is by far the nicest handmade gift that I have ever received. And here's just this random person. Well... She kind of told me why she wanted to give it, but she included a note. And she said, umpteen years ago, I heard you talk about reading out loud and memorizing poetry. And it completely changed. I think she used the term family tree, but mm. I, I think what she meant was like the trajectory of our family mm, mm -hmm. and, and the culture of the family. And she had been making this quilt and waiting for a chance to come to a convention and give it to me 
because she was so profoundly grateful just for that one idea Wow! she heard all those years ago. And all her children grew up mm-hmm. basically hearing beautiful literature and memorizing poetry. Wow. And uh, I just, I, I was so touched. I, I almost started weeping when yes. I was reading this note. And uh, I showed it to my wife and she's like, wow. That is a beautiful right? quilt. Right. It's what not easy to make a quilt. No, no. And My, do it beautifully. Right. Yes, you know? yes. Well, Andrew, I have one last question for you. This is sh- an easy day. Only a few questions. Well, okay. well maybe this is the stumper. This is the stumper. And I don't know if it's a stumper, but I don't think it's something that we can cover, but at least touch on it Okay. now and we'll address it more later. What are your thoughts, comments, concerns? with the emerging AI chat technology as we can use it for writing almost anything. That is something everybody's talking about. Mm -hmm. And I I will confess right off, I have avoided experimenting with this. Every time I get some thing about it, I basically just say, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's a video talking about how to use it to build a big business instantly and make millions or, <laughs> you know, how it's going to save so much time or how it's going to help you replace so many of your employees. I, I'm just, unfortunately, because maybe because of my age, I'm just not interested. But on the other hand, I'd better be interested because as I kind of thought, it's either going to destroy our business or it's going to explode our business. And I guess that depends on how people perceive the problem of the atrophy of a skill. Yes. If you don't have to figure out what to write, that means you don't have to figure out. And figure out is an idiom for thinking. Yep. And Jordan Peterson talks about this. He, he's even got a, 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 an essay writing tool mm-hmm. because he thinks that writing is the most important, vital, not just most important, but absolutely vital skill to learn to think. I also am uh, sometimes quoting Francis Bacon, mm. who I believe said approximately, reading maketh a full man Speaking maketh a ready man, and writing maketh an exact man. Hmm. So that fits really well, kind of as an underlying principle. Now, we know that people today don't read nearly as much as they did even 20 years ago. It's true. Especially students. Mm-hmm. A supermajority, meaning over two-thirds, of teenagers in this country have not read one book hmm. in the last year. That's wow. a statistic I that heard. That is remarkable. So they're not furnishing the brain. Right. And so then how are they going to express ideas? Right. Well, you know, writing and and speaking, you know, to, to write something, you got to basically talk to yourself, hear what you hear yourself say to yourself, hold that in your memory long enough to go harness the technical information of spelling or grammar or mechanics or whatever in order to do that. Mm-hmm. So if we see, and, and this touches on the spelling question, mm-hmm. if a spell checker will atrophy the skill of spelling, 
In fact, if you just know spell checkers exist, you will stop believing that it's really worth spending time learning. Well, what will the chat GPT do? And what will be the consequences of the lowered ability to think complex thoughts mm -hmm. if we aren't requiring mainly students, and I'm thinking, you know, both school and uh, higher education, if we're not requiring them to formulate those thoughts yep. and allowing a technology to replace that particular skill. I, that's pretty frightening. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, all technology can be frightening at first, and maybe there's a, a way that it can be used well my problem is I'm just not interested in it. <laughs> well, and the good news for you, Donna, is we actually devoted a whole podcast to this. We had a guest on here, a really delightful young man, who had some interesting insights that I think will help you, and we'll link to that podcast in our show yeah, notes. Yeah, and he's a college student mm -hmm. on the front lines of yep. seeing how college students in his world and Gen Z people are actually interacting and using and yep. working this way. So, yeah, we'll have to, I'm sure this will be a continued mm -hmm. subject for discussion in future podcasts. And it's exploding. It's going exponential. Mm -hmm. So we are likely to have to pay more attention. Right. And I, he, comment on this, Andrew, and see if my thinking is correct here. In the same way that we can refer to or at least start our research with Wikipedia, not as a place to cite, but as a place to go to get more ideas, perhaps ChatGPT could be that tool for us. Like, write an essay for me about, you know, the example that was given by Drew about George Washington. Right. Well, okay, there's that article, and I go, hmm, okay, let me pull some ideas from that to now begin yeah, to do my own I, research. I think the, the thing that frightens me the most is the great historian— Hilaire Belloc mm -hmm. once said, it is the responsibility, it is the, it is the obligation of an historian, not just to present facts, but to also prioritize those facts. So true. And of course, that in some ways becomes a matter of opinion. So I could imagine a student asking for information about George Washington and receiving some facts, such as, you know, he was a slave owner or he had a mistress or I don't, you know, whatever, um, that would be way lower in actual historical significance than other facts mm -hmm. that may be omitted. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And uh, I think it was Elon Musk who did come out and say, whoever controls AI will control the world. Mm. And so a, a poor student. I think it used to be in the good old days before the internet, we would trust books, right? We would go to the library and get a biography of somebody, and we would trust that the publisher and the author did due diligence to check the facts, to prioritize the facts, and then make those facts available and interesting to us. I grew up with a World Book Encyclopedia on my shelf. I may have read half the words in that whole encyclopedia. I read it a lot. And, you know, I think it was very objective. And I had no reason to distrust the world book, for better or worse. Mm -hmm. Now, it's almost as though any website you go to, 
you have reason to wonder if this is really an accurate presentation of information. And it's like this question everything. It's not a good philosophy of life, but it's almost necessary in today's world. And of course, I think, you know, we see on the popular news media, basically nobody trusts some of the news and some people trust none of the news. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's just a different world. And I, I, I pine for, I am nostalgic for the world book that I could trust. <laughs> and I don't know that we'll be able to trust either Wikipedia mm -hmm. Mm. or ChatGPT mm -hmm. to get the prioritizing of information appropriate to the level of the student and the inquiry. And, you know, probably a whole lot of ChatGPT is going to be how well can you get at using this, right? If you mm -hmm. just say, write me an essay on blah, 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 that's like saying to your kid, go clean the house, right? Whereas if you say, <laughs> you know, please clean the bathroom and this is how you do it. Right, exactly. Then you get a product mm -hmm. that's closer to what you want. Mm -hmm. Same thing probably with the Jet GPT. And so I guess there's going to be a lot of products and services and people helping coach you on how to use AI. Yep. And that'll probably be helpful for a lot of us. Yep. Well, we started light and we ended ready to change the world. That's a little bit of an exaggeration. Maybe, there, maybe. <laughs> we, can, we can sit around and hope. And we can help. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing. Would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.